This is episode 102 of Parenting with the Focused Mindset. Today, you get to listen in on a conversation that I had with Stephanie Renner. She's a wife and mother. She's also a makeup artist. And we have a conversation about healing, healing from past trauma and childhood hurts. And we discuss how those things do not define our future. I'm Cher Kretz. I'm a school counselor and a family mindset coach. Parenting is quite the journey, and it doesn't always turn out as planned. On this podcast, we talk about the solution-focused approach to parenting so that you can be the best version of yourself in your home and with the people you love. You can find out more about the Focused Mindset community at thefocusedmindset.com. Check out our social media at C-H-E-R, The Focused Mindset, or check out the show notes. I know you, Stephanie, because we were on a podcast together, Love Mommy's podcast, not so long ago, and I felt like we just had a great connection, so we just started talking on Instagram, and here we are, so welcome to the podcast. Yes, thank you. I definitely connected with you. (laughs) It was cool. It was like we had all these little connections, so that's why I thought I reached out to you one day, and I'm like, you know what? Let's have a conversation. And uh, we made it happen. If you didn't invite me, I would invite myself. (laughs) Like, I want to be on her podcast. Right? I love being able to talk to mothers that are right where you're at. Tell uh, everybody uh, that's listening right now a little bit about yourself. Married going on five years in June. I'm a mama of a two-year-old boy. Well, he'll be two next month. Such a cutie pie. Um, I'm a Latina and I'll be 31 next month. And yeah, that's my little familia. Uh, well, I did not know when I was doing the podcast with you. I was just like looking at you going, dang, her makeup is like on point. It is like <laughs> so amazing. And I'm like thinking this in my head. But then when I started following you on Instagram, I'm like, oh, she knows a little bit about this. So <laughs> yeah. tell us a little bit about that. I'm an artist. I'm super creative. I used to, my mom would tell me, throw the recycling away and I would sneak it into my room and make something out of it. So the poor mother had to keep my junk that I made out of something she was trying to discard. <laughs> like this was in the trash I could have sworn. <laughs> yeah. And like I used to make and sell my own jewelry, greeting cards and fans when I was little. And I just moved my creativity towards makeup and self-taught myself a lot of different things I could look at a picture and pretty much try to imitate it without knowing if there's a name to this technique or the name of the brush or things like that yeah <laughs> so I have a lot of fun with it I, I know you totally do and I that reminded me sometimes you you've done that a couple times recently people can look back on your Insta. what's your Instagram Stephanie Renner underscore beauty okay and one time you did do that recently where you were like okay I'm gonna try and like use the colors in this picture or whatever. And I was like, what? That's so cool. That was fun. And I just randomly, I'm new to Instagram. I only started Instagram when the pandemic started because my son was three months old when it shut down or two months. And I wanted everyone to be a part of his life and to see him grow up. So I created an Instagram account and it was blowing it up (laughs) with a bunch of pictures and videos of him. I was following a professional organizer on Instagram and she tagged one of her clients and she's like, Oh, this client just gave me these cute earrings. I just organized her kitchen, check out her shop. So I tapped on it, but she tagged the wrong account. She tagged the beauty account. And a lot of my friends aren't big on makeup. They like to look, you know, very natural, which nothing's wrong with that, but I love color and bold looks and testing my skills and limits. So to see a makeup artist on Instagram, I just was watching her and tried the product that she was selling and was obsessed with it. Right. Here I am (laughs) selling it. You could go into Sephora Sephora and love something, but you wouldn't be able to promote it and say like, hey, you know, get a hold of me right now and I can get it for you. Like, I think it's kind of like, why not? You know, you're already doing makeup. You might as well be able to uh, allow people to get the exact stuff that you're doing right, you know, in real time. So I hope that a lot of people find you. I think that it's a really, really fun account. I have to tell you. Just a quick story about the makeup. So I I was buying 
an insane amount of makeup during the pandemic because again, my pandemic started in December when I was on maternity leave. My feet were so swollen, I couldn't wear shoes. So I was home before everybody else. <laughs> so I was losing my mind. Being a mom with a newborn, sleep deprived, the only time I had to enjoy was the two days a week that I would put makeup on. <laughs> but um, I bought all this makeup and then I find this account and I'm watching her for a few months and it was cream to powder eyeshadow. Okay. And I was like, oh, that looks intimidating, but I want to try it. So I told my husband, I'm like, okay, I know I said I wouldn't buy makeup anymore because I have enough for her small village. Um, <laughs> but can I just try this product? I'm sure I'm going to hate it. So, you know, no big, I'll just get one color. I used that makeup. I left for the day. We ran errands. I got back. The first thing I did when we got home, I walked straight into the bedroom, turned the corner, turned on the light, looked in the mirror above my dresser, leaned in, right, right, touched up my makeup, and it looked exactly the same. And I like, was like, <laughs> yeah, it's like waterproof, sweatproof, smudge proof, long lasting. You're like, what just and- happened here? anti-aging makeup and it stays put and because it's cream to powder there's no fallout so there are so many things that it solved a lot of problems for me as a makeup user and lover that I walked to my husband in the kitchen and I looked at him and I said I am so sorry he was like you love it I'm like yes (laughs) you're gonna buy it and I said yes so I started collecting you know the makeup for a few months and I decided to sell it um, I packed away my old traditional pressed powder makeup and lipsticks. Like I legit did not want to use it again because yeah. I saw the benefits in the other product. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and that's the way it usually happens with us anyways. We're like, wait a minute, this is what I need. <laughs> and then you were, we move forward from there, I guess. Uh, so now your little one is, oh my gosh, coming up on two. Yes. Oh, wow. Oh, it went by too fast. <laughs> yeah, I know. But what have you learned so far being a parent? What do you think some of the lessons are that you've learned that are unexpected lessons? Of course, everyone is guilty of envisioning themselves a certain way as a parent. And I think especially moms because, you know, society is so hard on us. I don't even know. I think I'm still figuring it out. There's things I never, ever thought that I would struggle with. But there are things you absolutely have no control over. Parenting is a huge triggering factor. Um, Major life events can bring up things that you never even knew existed in your life Mm -hmm. until that event took place. Um, But I think I am just going with the flow. I try not to think about the future so much. And the next step, I'm trying so hard to just enjoy him as he is now. And to just let things be and address things when they come up. Yeah. I didn't put in the calendar when to introduce a pacifier or take it away or wean him from this and that. I kind of just let each day continue. He's been such a trooper, like unswaddling him, sleep sack, crib, bottle, breast, no pacifier, sippy cup. He has transitioned to everything so, so smoothly. Wow. Baby number two, whenever that happens, is going to be a little Tasmanian devil. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, wait a minute. They say you have opposites. What am I in for? (laughs) Yeah. But I think um, it's very humbling. And my biggest fear when I was pregnant was they always say, oh, you'll understand when you have your own kids. Your parents always tell you that. Oh, you'll understand. You'll see when you have your own kids, you know, you'll come back and apologize to me. You'll understand. And my biggest fear when I was pregnant, I'm like, oh my gosh, what if my mom is right? I was terrified of that first moment of having him in the hospital, of having this feeling where I would owe my mom an apology. Mm. But fortunately, it helped solidify how I felt. Right, right. It wasn't me. I know now that you were toxic. And that's not going to be entered into my son's life. (laughs) Right. I know. It's like the thing, one thing that I know that both of us recognize a lot is that our past, um, although it doesn't define our future, understanding our past helps us in our future. Because if we just completely ignore it or we completely push it aside, then we don't really understand the best way to move forward. 
many times in um, in my solution focused work, it gets misjudged that because we do talk a lot about the best person that we can personally be, how are we becoming the best person we can be, that we might forget that part of that is own uh, just kind of like accepting the person that we were growing up, the things we went through. And I've had to go through a lot of acceptance, you know, as well. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about that. But um, you have even a more interesting journey because of, uh, of also having to understand the relationship that you had with your parent. And, um, and I know that the word narcissistic is thrown around a lot lately. It really... And to the point, everybody has a, some uh, narcissistic qualities because we all care about our own personal well-being and we can fall into things that we wish we wouldn't have fallen into. But it's totally different when you feel as though you were treated in a way that was, you know, like you were talking to me about off the air. And I think it is important for us to talk about because I don't think it defines you as a parent, but it's something you've had to deal with, right? What are some of the, tell us a little bit about your um, childhood growing up in that manner. Okay. So I share your history as far as being a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. Um, But I've also endured narcissistic abuse. And I love that you said that word does get thrown around a lot. And surprisingly, in the field of psychology, there actually is its own pandemic of narcissism. It's increasing tremendously. I think people take the whole self-care, self-love to the extreme sometimes that they neglect responsibilities of just being a human being. <laughs> right. Like I totally some feel you. parents are like, oh, self-love, me time, me time. And I'm like, mm that child needs you. (laughs) So slow down on the you time. (laughs) But um, yeah, so I didn't realize that my mother was a narcissist until my mid 20s. And I needed help from the outside world and outside people to draw to that. Because I was very, very close to my mother in the sense of Not that we had a good relationship, but I was so desperate for her love that I was by her side. And when she divorced my father when I was little, I knew he was a bad man and that I needed to protect her. So I slept with my mom till I was 13 years old. Mm -hmm. And when their divorce and separation was first happening, there was a lot of aggression taking place. And I would cry if my mom left the house without me. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really hard for me to come to the realization that this person that I loved so much had harmed me so much. And the mental and emotional manipulation was so severe, even in like my 20s, that I was at the point of suicide. Wow. And also, my whole body one time was just shaking, like almost like a seizure. I was just shaking. And I went to the computer when she wasn't home and I Googled mental institutions. I thought, I believed her. I thought I was the problem. I thought I was crazy. And, you know, you're taught that your parents love you, listen to them. They know best. I mean, they're not physically hurting you or, you know, locking you up like you hear on the news. So they must know what's best for me and love me and but you never are truly prepared for emotional and mental abuse and manipulation, especially if it started at such a young age, the foundation of doubting yourself. No, I completely understand exactly where you're coming from because um, it's, it's something I see very much so when I am a counselor. And I've said as a school counselor, I have such a unique role because they're not paying to come see me. So I get to see kids in all kinds of different situations. It's very easygoing. It's very non-threatening for most parents. Even your most controlling parents usually uh, welcome a helping hand, especially if it might help their child with academics. And so I've sat, uh, you know, I mean, gosh, you're talking hundreds of kids and, and many, many times I'll see those signs of saying, wow, that parent is lacking so much about, you know, they're, they're missing so many opportunities because they're so interested in controlling their child 
that they don't realize that in the long run, this child's going to have to unpack all that. At some point in their life, they're going to have to unpack all that. And I would say that in those situations, I feel the most powerless. And the reason why is because no matter what I say, you know, we know the voice of the parent is so strong that the moment that they walk back into that environment with the parent, the parent's voice overrides whatever voice I would say. And, uh, I usually just send off a little prayer with those kids, uh, when I, because I'm like, they're going to probably, if they're strong, like many kids are, they're going to have to unpack it in their adult life, you know? And it looks like that's what you were able to do. You were able to go like, wow, it's time for me to unwind and say, okay, who was I actually meant to be? What were the words that I was programmed to hear and believe and what was actually not true? Is that kind of what you had to go through when you finally... Yeah, what's crazy was when I was reading the book, um, Will I Ever Be Good Enough? Daughters of Narcissistic Mothers. I just learned about projection and all of the insults and the terrible things she said about me. I had to train myself and to push back on her. And I realized she painted me as the most selfish, selfish, selfish daughter that ever existed and looking back, I'm like, I sacrificed everything for the family. Right. I was your guys' go-to slave. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah, you had but, to rewrite what was actually true. That's hard to do. But yeah. it's like so – it's actually very liberating when you're able to say, wait a minute. I see this clearly now. And I like um, – let me think. Uh, my parents sometimes would be like, oh, yeah, and you know – Others have told us this too, but they would never disclose who. And now I realize that that was a lot of lies. They lie a lot. My sisters got married and moved out at like 18. They left as soon as possible, but I was stuck there till I was 23 with my sister. You were the baby of the family. Yeah. So um, anytime I bought myself something, whether it was TJ Maxx or Marshall's, if it was name brand, she would be super upset and she would always try to find a way for me to owe her money. Or if I was invited out, the rare, rare times that I was invited out, she would make sure to ground me. And it was ridiculous. Even in my early 20s, as a responsible adult, she, I was with a friend and she was like, oh, I'm going to get my um, eyebrows waxed. Do you want to come? I'm like, oh, sure. You know what? I tweeze mine. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I'll go with you. So I came home, got out my things and my, I was headed out. And my mom's like, where do you think you're going? I was like, oh, I'm going to get my eyebrows waxed she's like did you ask and oh. I like to know, I was like I need to ask permission I'm like you don't make me ask permission to get my hair trimmed like what the heck yeah <laughs> so I I legit had to email my stepdad email him like I was an employee express to him I know the house rules I know my curfew I have a phone and a reliable vehicle I need to be able to do what I want she was finding a certain comfort in the relationship she had with you. And she was so fearful of losing it that she mm -hmm. was willing to control you, you know, yeah. that she was willing to do everything she took good to control you because she wanted that comfort of you being there. Control was insane. Like I can't even identify all of it. Sometimes I still think about certain things and I'm like, wow, because I don't know. It takes time. It takes time. You have to take things as they come. And if you could handle it, you face it. You don't want to overload yourself with all of this and like undish all of it at once. But um, yeah, there's, there was so much I didn't realize. And, mm -hmm. you know, kids love their parents. There are children in the foster care system that were beaten and sexually abused in the worst of ways. And they still want to be with their parents because that's how much love a child has. So I didn't recognize myself. I had no idea. I still have a hard time believing the decisions and steps I took to get away from them. Mm -hmm. um, when I found out I was pregnant, I was still going to try to keep associating with them, but just gray rocking them. And, you know, keeping it at bay. But then there was an issue that came up. And when they treated me like that and I had just found out I was pregnant, I didn't tell them yet. I said, no. I said, I can't do this to my kid. I can't. I said, 
I'll allow the mistreatment of me one to two times a year whenever I do engage or see you guys. But in my mind, I knew as a victim of sexual abuse how the message that my son would get. Yeah. And this is what I learned that my mother allowed a relative that was an abuser and a molester around us. And she would say, oh, well, I never, you guys were always together. You guys weren't alone. But the message a child gets is it's okay to be around abusers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you should not allow that in your circle. I don't care what blood DNA they have, whatever it is. I couldn't let my son be raised around a family and grandparents that treated his mom like crap. Oh my gosh. Like, how did you find the power within you to make such a bold decision? I think what helped was we had gotten in an argument one day and that was, I was ready to just jump off a bridge. I was Googling mental institutions and I just left home. And that was, yeah, that was long before you were married, had kids, anything. Yes. I packed my bag and I said, I need to be away from home for a little while. I'm going to stay at a friend's house for a couple of weeks and I'll come back and we'll continue the conversation and see where we're at. Wow. But those few weeks that I was away from them and I was talking to friends and other older, you know, mature couples and parents and things like that, they finally had enough comfort to disclose what they witnessed, mm. how they felt and what they recognized. They one man, he was like, oh, I know when you're spending a lot of time with your mom because you pop up on the mouth and you have more attitude. Wow. But when your parents are on vacations, because they vacationed all the time and left me at home, um, they're like, when they're away, you're a sweeter person. Wow. But you're different when you hang out with your mom a lot. And I could tell when you are. And that was like a big light bulb. And then I had met my mother-in-law then. And she was recommending that I look into narcissism and figure out if I feel that that was my situation. And it was. And I decided, I'm like, okay, I need to move out. Yeah. Like, this is it. So my parents made really good money. Mm -hmm. They had a huge, nice house. I was the only one living with them. Right. I chose to live out of a storage unit on a friend's couch versus what they had to offer. Wow. Yeah, because you're like, <laughs> I, I said, need my mental stability. Yeah. And what's funny was, again, I'm, I was and thinking I could have some type of relationship with them that maybe living with them was the issue. So I remember I was away from home for a couple of months and I went back to visit and my mom was giving me some instructions and we were talking and then she ended up yelling. And I remember like jumping yeah, and freaking out. And then I was kind of in shock and then I was like, what just happened? So I did what she told me to do. I said my goodbyes and I left. And then I realized that I was shocked because I had spent a moment of my life around people that didn't yell at me or scream. So I was already like used to that piece and didn't recognize how much she was like that. And yeah. that was your moment of being like, wait a minute, I, I can't deal with this normal anymore. Like this is, this is, I don't know, for lack of a better word, toxic, you know? Yeah. My mother-in-law, seeing how she was with her kids and grandkids, even as they're all grown um, adults, her kids, I was kind of like, wait, what? Yeah. And then, you know, I started dating her son, my husband, and he would ask, he's like, oh, you know, did your parents ever do this? I'm like, no. And then I would ask him, I'm like, did your parents ever do this? He's like, what? Right, right. I'm like, oh, that's bad. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because you really don't know. Yeah. It's like when you are in that environment that's your normal so if that's your normal you have nothing to compare it to so you kind of went through this compare and contrast and also the reality of your feelings within you of peace you know like oh this is what peace feels like I need more of it it sounds like you were in that arena and then you kind of had to fight you had to stand up for it yeah so um I of course it was so difficult giving birth to a child without mm. a mother going through pregnancy, even their newborn phase. And sometimes even now I struggle with, okay, maybe we could, you know, make amends. Maybe I could have them in our lives because I'll send a picture of my son through my husband's phone. They don't 
have access to me anymore. I blocked them and I said, you can go through my husband if you need me Um, because he's my protector and they don't know him. When we were dating, I didn't let them know that I had a boyfriend in my life. And I think at the wedding, that was the fourth time they met him. Whoa. On purpose. Because previously, ex-boyfriends, if I brought them around, next thing you know, they were joining in on making fun of me. Yeah. So there was a few moments that I felt that, oh, maybe we could, you know, reconnect. Um, Because they haven't met my son. They didn't even know I was pregnant until after having him. They didn't know I had him. They didn't know if it was a he or she. Um, But a part of me is like, oh, man, it would be easy in certain aspects. But then I tell myself, I remind myself why I made the decision. I said, no, this is best for my son and my family. Um, He needs to learn healthy boundaries. No matter how much he might love a person, there needs to be boundaries of respect and dignity. And, but yeah, it's a struggle. Just because a decision was made once doesn't mean I stop making that same decision. There's moments in life where you have to make the same decision again. And life is a journey, you know, and so you have to be able to allow yourself to revisit that because, because boundaries are tricky that way. I find that as we grow, the decade that I've just been through allows me to have a different set of boundaries. And these boundaries might be that we can go out to dinner or these boundaries might be this or that. And as you grow as a person, then you revisit that. So, you know, I think that that's a healthy thing, not a bad thing. You know, you don't want to be like, no, I made that decision and that's all there is to it because you grow, you know, as a human, we grow and we grow in strength and we're able to handle ourselves better and we're able to notice things and be like, oh, hold up. So Mm -hmm. I'm the oldest of four biological from my mom and dad. And then they, at once they broke up, my mom had one child and then two that my dad had. And the thing about it is that um, I always had to realize that being the oldest of a mother that divorced when I was, you know, like, gosh, I want to say sixth grade, um, I was like, kind of like just trying to take on everything. You know, you don't realize how much you take on on your shoulders, take it on, take it on, take it on. And for me, you know, you and I just realized when we were on that other podcast that we both are survivors of sexual abuse as well. And that happened to me when I was in sixth grade. So you have a, a, a marriage ending, pressure being the oldest, and then you're abused. And so I had a lot to unwind because I was just in figure it out mode, you know, like I got a survive mode. And so even though I didn't have some of the exact similarities that you have, I totally get figuring out how you're going to adult after you move out. You know, it was like, oh, I have to figure this out. I have to unwind all of this stuff and kind of decide what kind of person do I want to be. And, and it's it's definitely a journey. And I feel as though I have, I, I'll never fully conquer it, but I do feel like there was some boundaries that I put up that stayed and I'm happy about. Like for instance, uh, the, the person that abused me was my grandfather and he's passed away now, but my husband and I had to sit down after we had kids, there was an interaction where there was a, um, a family get together and my youngest daughter was very tiny and I hadn't had any problem trigger wise or boundary wise of hanging out with my grandparents when, before I had kids. But once I had kids, that first time I was really with them, I realized this wasn't going to work for me. It wasn't going to work for my triggering. It wasn't going to work for my growth. And we made a very tough decision that we weren't going to go visit them or be around them with our children, except for maybe in large family gatherings, if they happen to be there. And did we get a lot of flack for that? Yes. But I am so proud of myself and so glad there is not a single day in my life that I regret that decision. Because I know that that was not only best for me, but best for my kids. Even if, you know, people would say, oh, well, you know, that doesn't mean that was going to happen to them. It doesn't matter. That was the very person that was my perpetrator. And that person was not going to be around my kids. And that was healthy for me. And so, um, you know, and then there's other decisions I made that were, oh, you know what? I can handle being around this person that has some controlling behaviors because, I can deal with that now, you know, so it's, it's interesting how that, how you grow as an adult. And then you say, okay, those decisions were important to me and they're still important to me. So I love hearing how you came about that progress 
And I just want to say, you know, continue living in your truth. And if that, and if you end up having more strength and your boundaries change, don't beat yourself up about it. That, I mean, it's not like you're changing, you're just evolving, right? As a person. And I love that. And that is so empowering. I'm so glad you said that and you made those decisions. And it's just makes me so happy because I know how I felt when I made a stand. Again, I cut off my family when I was pregnant. So after we were married, there was still some type of um, connection there. But I remember when I was planning the wedding, um, they asked me, they're like, oh, you know, are you inviting grandpa? And I remember texting. I was like, no, I don't. molesters aren't invited. He's not going to be around them. I and love that. Totally straight up. Let's, let's, let's not dance around like, the no. issue. No. And, you know, all my cousins, nieces, and nephews are, we, we, they were all around him. And I'm like, you guys are all full. Like, no, <laughs> he's no Lester. No, thank you. Yeah. And he ended up dying, I think, last year, two years ago. And I didn't shed a single tear. I was like, no, that man is nothing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a terrible person. I'm pretty confident that he abused some of my cousins. But again, toxic dynamic, that's your norm. The family's not going to do anything about it. I was mm-hmm. the only one to say anything. And what's funny is my biological father was a victim by his father. So he continued it. In a lot of cases, when it comes to childhood sexual abuse, it's almost like an inheritance. It is a generational thing until someone decides no. And even then, subconsciously, like my husband, he always wondered, he's like, man, some of my friends and uh, ex-girlfriends were victims. And I just always wondered why I was drawn to those people. Wow. And then as an adult, a relative of his said, oh, it's be- I-, I was a victim. Wow. And- he was raised with them. So subconsciously you're drawn towards your history. And I think it's important for parents, if they are victims, to let their kids know that they are victims. Because again, there's just this chemistry and this bond between a child and parent that even if you didn't tell them about your trauma, for some reason, the subconscious is drawn towards others with that history. I don't don't know. I just kind of find too that um, we're moving away from that generation of hush hush, you know, that, oh, you can't talk about it and you shouldn't talk about it. And I think that's one of the greatest things because I was um, I was kind of like moving out of that generation already. So I knew from, you know, just basically what you're taught in school and that kind of thing that this is not supposed to stay quiet. You know, like I knew that it wasn't right and that it and I and it, and it's not supposed to be something you keep quiet, but still there was that generational thing where, no, you keep things quiet. And I think that it's really important for parents to know that have open dialogue with your kids. Don't be ashamed yep. of the things that you went through, because that stuff is uh, is is something that's going to be empowering to them and it's going to give them the strength to be able to deal with the situations they go through. How are they going to rise up to be uh, a better humans. And, a, and we always hope that we raise our kids to be the best they can be if they don't learn from what we've been through. Of course, age appropriate. You know, I'm not yeah. saying you just like unload like, yeah, our grandpa was awful. No, did, you know, yeah. that's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying to say in a gentle way to say, you know, these are the things I endured. And these are the things that I learned from it. And this is what I'd like you to know about that, you know, and that as they get older and they're ready, maybe you share important stories, not to villainize, but to educate, you know, it's so important. They, our kids never have to know the details. And on the last podcast, when I saw that question was going to be discussed, I was nervous and I prayed about it. And I said, okay, I'm a survivor of it, but it doesn't mean I need to talk about what was done to me and what happened. Like all of those, no one needs to know. Um, unless you want them. But I think there's also a balance of maintaining a level of dignity when discussing your experience um, and not needing to paint a vivid picture. I think a lot of times people feel that they have to go into details, but you don't, you have full control over what you disclose. Yeah. And I honestly think that that's a more, uh, a polite and, and dignified way of handling so many hard situations because it's not about the details. It's about what we learned from it. You know, when you think of like a really great song that you hear on the radio and it alludes to a painful situation, you know, love songs or breakup songs, it's going to uh, 
bring up a completely different memory in two different people's mind, but both of them are brought to tears, you know, because it's not about the actual thing that happened. It's about the fact that we're humans and we have a human experience that was similar. And then we can say, Hey, that's why you can still be strong. You can still be amazing. You can don't let it define you. These are the moments when we can say that details are not what's important. You know, most of the time, uh, for many years of my life, I, I would tell my children, especially when my um, grandfather was still alive, I just said a relative. They didn't need to know what. I just said, you know what, a relative, and that's why I'm always teaching you to be extra careful. It's kind of a part of a reason why I'm a counselor. I want to be able to help people have strength and wisdom. And um, and then when they were old enough, I was able to say, you know, this is the individual that that was, and this is, and, and it's, 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 it's a process. But it's a it's a something that we shouldn't be ashamed of. And me personally, I was never ashamed. Like people are like, oh, you just talked about that. I'm like, you know what? It's I don't feel a feeling of shame. I feel a feeling of there was there should be uh, more people that are willing to speak up. That was even in my little child mind, I felt that way. And so I, I live that way in my adult life too, where it's just like, yeah, that was part of my history. Yeah. It's just what it is. How do you feel like you kind of like process that you know like as an adult how do you feel like you've what's your journey as far as processing it so far um well I feel that I've been doing um cognitive re-education therapy by means of muscle testing with someone since I was 16 Mm. fantastic and based on those sessions I could tell you that there's been more damage from my mom's narcissistic abuse than my childhood sexual abuse Again, there's history on both of my biological parents' side. And the whole entire family is pretty much a victim of it. But I was, I think, like I told my aunt, I texted her. I'm like, no, he's not invited to the wedding. We're having kids there. He's a molester. Why would I do that? Right, right. Back to our story. <laughs> um, yes. And they're like, okay. But what's amazing is I was already building boundaries with my family and I didn't recognize myself and they sure in heck didn't recognize me either because again the control and my role was supposed to be complacent and do what you're told and don't be a problem don't need anything um but come to find out standing up for yourself is not a problem it was amazing um one of the times my aunt messaged me and she was like oh your grandma wants to like connect with you and reconnect and things like that and it was my father's mother and at first I was shocked and cried and then I held it together and I responded and I said tell her I am not interested in having a relationship with any woman that allows her husband and her son to molest children Mm. and my aunt was like okay so like did you, did, I, were you able to come up with that on the spot or were you, did you have to think through that or how did it that? Was like within five, 10 minutes. Wow. Um, and like, I just, it was so empowering. And I, once I did try to connect with my dad and all I wanted was a picture of him and his family, because when you experience that type of childhood trauma, you kind of have this extra sense and can pick up on it with other kids um, it's not, you know, 100% lie detector, bulletproof, whatever, you know, you want to compare it to, but there is a gut feeling. And as a kid, I had a really good intuition already, but um, I wanted a picture because I heard that he had more kids with another woman in Mexico. Mm. My dad, I reconnected with him through email at like 18 and I just wanted the picture. So I got my picture and I just looked into their eyes. My, I have a younger sister and brother. And I was like, you are definitely abusing them. Wow. And I can see the darkness in their eyes and just their posture in this picture and the woman's picture, his wife. And I was like, oh, my God, I felt sick. Because my mom told me that when she was pregnant with me, that he wanted me to be a boy so bad. Wow. About abusers and the history and things like that and the need to control. And that's why it continues Um, because you're a victim trying to gain that control back. So you Mm -hmm. repeat thinking that you got a hold of it, but that's definitely not how you feel. Um, He wanted a boy, but I turned out to be a girl 
And as an adult, I look back, I'm like, he wanted a boy because he was molested by men. Wow. A boy to molest to get that power back. It's hard to even dive into all of the psychological thought processes that go into somebody who has that within them because it's always so shocking to me because I know once I became a parent, I just was like these beautiful human beings. I mean, aside from being a counselor, when you're sitting there and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, this beautiful human being, how could anybody have those kind of thoughts roll through their mind? You know, it was so amazing to me sitting there and it's just, I think that's why we fight to make our, to help our mind constantly heal. Because I think that that's one thing that people assume is, oh, well, that happened to you and then you heal and it's over. But honestly, no, you know, (laughs) like I feel as though I I have so much patience with myself and so much uh, kindness in that manner. Because um, I remember one time when I was uh, way back when I was still a preschool teacher, when I was still in college, I was reading, going through all the books and I was getting my bookshelf ready for my classroom. And I picked up a book like, oh, this one's about being careful not to let people touch you wrong. I should probably put this one out. And they, all the kids were napping. I remember it so vividly. And I hadn't revisited that memory at all. There was no reason for me to. I was happily married, moving on with my life. And I read that book and all of a sudden I'm sitting there with all these napping preschoolers around me and I'm just tears tears, tears, tears as I'm reading this book and things are flashing through my mind of things that should have never occurred. And I'm just like, wow. And that was my first thought as a young adult of like, wait a minute, I, you mean I'm going to need to keep revisiting this every now and then? And then years later, I was at a sexual abuse uh, training in when I was a kindergarten teacher and they were talking about grooming. It was the first time that I was even introduced to that word. I'm like, what is this grooming thing they're talking about? And they talked about, well, you need to be really careful in a school setting if, if there's anybody that's being alone with a child too much and they're touching their shoulder too much or trying to uh, find things in common, <laughs> find things, unusual things in common. And it doesn't matter male or female, like we've talked about. Female to female is just as dangerous as, or male to male. And to watch these things. And again, I had to leave that and take a walk. And I was like, for some reason, I just had this desire to flee. You know, like I've got to get out of this training like now. And I just took a walk around the campus. And again, same situation, uncontrollable tears. I'm like, where is this? Wow. And this is after healing, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it shows that when we have certain things that have happened to us, we need to be so loving to ourselves to say, it's okay. It's, you can heal as much as you can heal. And sometimes your mind might want to say, it's time to revisit that something triggered you. And it's okay for you to revisit that and he, and, and give yourself that hug and share it with someone that you love and then jump right back onto the path that you were meant to be on. You know, it's not meant to destroy you. It's meant to say, okay, I, I, I remember that again, because I, there's someone in my life I need to have compassion to as much as I have compassion on myself. And I think that's just part of the journey of the type of adults that I hope that I can, I can totally see it in you. It's like so beautiful, <laughs> you know, where you're like, I am healing from this and I'm becoming the best person that I can be um, rather than letting it continue. You're rising above it. And um, I don't know. It's, and you might have those moments still, but isn't it crazy how it's like, it's within us, but it isn't us. Yeah. The last email I sent my dad, cause again, I was only contacting him to get that picture. And once I got the picture, I said, I'm out of here. And the last email I sent him was pretty much saying, I know what you did. I know what you're doing. I forgive you. And I'm sorry for you. Wow. And I told him, I was like, I am stronger than you are. Because I'm not going to repeat what was done to me like you did and let it control me thinking that I'm in control. Um, yeah. So it, it was in stages that I was able to find my voice and it's still sometimes hard for me to find my voice. But just those few encounters going straight to the person's face and saying no and saying that person's a molester. They're not invited. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. 
was a great start. And I think those things made my family scared of me and realized maybe we should back up and leave her alone because now we don't know who she is. She's not who we tried grooming her to be. Isn't that funny though? Because, and it probably didn't phase you a bit. You're like, ah, be scared. Then that's (laughs) have fun with that. You know, it's because when you really are being the person that you were meant to be, and you're always meant to be, it feels great. It feels so empowering that all of that other shenanigans just because like, eh, doesn't even bother you anymore. Yeah. So I'm sure they expected me several times to run back to them to move back in because I couldn't figure it out on my own. Or my sister straight up when we were engaged, she was messaging me like, oh, you're going to hurt your husband and then his family's going to turn their backs on you. Oh, geez. Like she was straight up telling me, you're going to cheat on him. I know you are. And I'm like, whoa. (laughs) Thank you. Like, well, thank you. Thank you for that projection there. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. She's on her second marriage. My, both of my sisters are on their second marriage and my mom's on her third. You're like, why don't you just deal with your own reality and yeah. I'll deal with mine. And that's, that'll work better. <laughs> Again, projection. I had to learn whatever they said towards me had nothing to do with me and had everything to do with themselves. Yeah. So what are some of the ways that you feel like you're developing a healthier future for your son, like in, like in the here and now, like that you're really noticing is different. So before I had my son, we were even trying, I went to Disneyland with my family and my nieces and nephews were there. And my oldest nephew has autism and I was his primary babysitter when he was growing up. And I saw some of the signs, but they didn't want to believe me. And unfortunately, he's also a victim of sexual abuse. I saw the signs. They didn't want to believe me until later. But um, he was, the poor kid has been through so much. He doesn't have his father in his life. He has a stepdad that I don't trust and I don't like. And all his younger sisters, which is four of them, are from that stepdad. And we went to Disneyland and my nieces had fallen asleep. So he wanted to get on a ride and he wanted to ride with my sister, his mom. And he hadn't really been with her the whole day because that many kids, you know, taking her time and attention away. So she was telling me we were in line. She was like, oh, you know, he wants to ride with me. He's mom's boy. Like he needs to man up. I want him to man up and go on the ride with other men. Like, can he ride with your husband? And I was like, his sisters are napping. He wants to be with his mother. He's 11 years old. There's no need for him to man up. He's a child. And she kept quiet. She didn't know what to say because no one in the family advocates for kids. In my family, kids are literally nothing. You do not have a voice. You don't have rights. You do what you are told. You eat what you are given. You do what we tell you to do. Your preferences don't matter. So, and then one of my twin nieces, um, she had it rough. Her skull was like messed up when they gave birth. So this poor girl already, you know, came out the womb with certain trauma that she had experienced Mm. physically. So my mom had her in the stroller and all the other kids were out and we were going to eat lunch, but she was the only one strapped in and she was wanting to get out and fussy. And I was like, Oh, you know, Miha, you want to come out? You want to sit with me? And my mom's like, Oh no, this one's a brat. Wow. And I just looked at her and I was like, I told her, I'm like, "Mm, that's what parenting is for. It's to correct that. She's only two. There's no need to label her. And my mom didn't know what to say. She kept quiet. Yeah. So it sounds like you have developed within you the ability to say, you know what? Things need to be done differently and a kid's voice matters. And if I see something, I'm willing to speak up about it. Yes. And again, that was not me at all. They trained me to shut up, not listen to my intuition. And I realize now looking back that they had to work so hard to gaslight me. Um, my intuition, my mother-in-law totally helped me listen to it. It is really spot on. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what my mom was afraid of. And what she was trying to control is that intuition not to be used to see her for what she was. She had to work double time with you. Yes. What were some of the things that your mother-in-law did that helped you and some of the ways that she opened your eyes? Um, again, observing her, how she was with her grandkids and how she was with her adult kids. Like my husband was going over 
and washing his clothes there. And he's in his 30s and he's washing his clothes at his parents' house. And her daughter would come over, who's married with three kids, would come and be like, oh, hey, can I take some of your Ziploc bags? And, you know, I just thought, I'm like, what? I'm like, I was a teenager and I had to buy my own toothpaste. Like, just wait a more minute. more caring, what? more loving, more. Yeah. So yeah. you're just basically, it's, it's actually sometimes nothing that they said at all. It was just by you observing. That. And then we would have conversations because um, my mother-in-law, the way I knew her was we saw the same cognitive therapist. Mm. And that therapist recommended I hang out with her and as a support group that she had similar experiences that I did and that she just thought she would be a really good role model for me. Wow. Hit it off right away. So much that by the second time I met her, she was pushing her son on me <laughs> <laughs> and she succeeded. Right. But, um, she would be like, okay, I'm going to invite you out and I want you to tell me what you think about this person, this person, and this person. And she was testing my intuition. Huh. And I was like, okay, you know, this sounds like a fun game. Let me try it. And I'm like, oh, I sense this from this person. And oh, this person seems like something's off. And, oh, this person makes me uncomfortable because of this and this. And she was like, and she leaned in and she told me, she was like, your intuition is spot on. Listen to it. Don't ever let anyone tell you not to listen to it. And she was like, she even told me recently, unfortunately, there was a situation with one of her kids. And then the family had this realization of what was really going on. And my mother-in-law tells me, she was like, you know, your intuition is spot on. And I knew that, but some of the things you've told me, I didn't want to believe it. Right. And now I know, you know what you're talking about. Yeah. And so she's kind of learned to trust your intuition even. Yeah. Wow. Even when and, it was so close to home. Yeah. And the thing about it is that it's interesting that somebody else can come into your life and speak a different truth. And then your mind perks up like, wait a minute, maybe there's another way to look at this. And then yeah. that begin to form your strength in a lot of ways. Yeah, My mom used to say, oh, my youngest, she's too selfish to be a mom. She'll, she'll never be a mom. But she just thought I was straight up selfish. <laughs> and my mind looking back and I was like, I was very giving. I'm <laughs> like, Clearly, no, because what you hear, yourself. your mind hears it over and over and your mind says, well, that must be true because that's what I hear. And yeah. so you, you don't, you don't question it at all until you don't hear that every, all the time, yeah. you know, and as soon as that programming stopped going into your brain, then you were able to start having your own thoughts. And then, you know, that's what started to make the difference. Thank goodness, because now you can be a parent that can know that each and every day you, you get to create, you know, you get to shape, you get to learn, you get to grow and you get to create the kind of parent that you choose to be. And it's not bound to how you were raised. Yeah. And what's interesting is sometimes I will ask my husband what the definition of a certain word is because I'll use it in my vocabulary all the time, but because my mom always claimed me defending myself and standing up for myself was disrespectful and rude. I had to relearn what really disrespect was. And I still have a hard time understanding what respect is mm. because they abused it. And there's, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, you know, this is how you approach this with your kid. And in my mind, I'm like, I understand it, but I don't get it. Like how? Don't tell me what to do. I need step by step how I do that because I have no idea what that looks like. I've never witnessed it or seen it before. So it's a foreign concept and I need you to break it down. <laughs> Brand new <laughs> like, experience. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sure I'm going to mess up my kid in some ways, but as long as I'm keeping known abusers away from him, that's a huge plus from my upbringing. Yeah. I mean, we're human. I mean, part of me is like, yeah, I have my kids that are two, two are raised ones, you know, 13. And, and I tell them all the time, you know, I'm a human. Humans make mistakes. Don't put me on a pedestal. And they're automatically going to do that because it's kind of that's the way it works when you're a parent. But then I just change it. I'm like, no, don't put me on a pedestal. I'm a human being that makes mistakes. And I just feel like I can't pound that into them enough because at the end of the day, uh, we know I know what I feel like in my own skin and I'm learning and growing every single day. I don't have it all figured out. And I think that's a difference in parenting as well as a lot of parents, they felt like they have to, they still do. And, and if anyone out there that's listening to our conversation, I mean, 
it's never too late to say, you know what, I've kind of been portraying myself as the one that knows it all in my family. And it makes sense because you're the one that's making the rules and making sure that people do their chores. And, you know, it's a big responsibility to raise a child in the way that they should go. But it's also uh, never too late to step back and say, you know what, I'm not too uh, high and mighty to, uh, to apologize. I'm not too high and mighty to remind my kids, oh, I just made a mistake right there. Because the moment that you do that, I'm thinking about respect. The tricky thing is, is that actually allows the child to respect you. You know, if you do it the other way, then basically they just learn to fear you. And if yes. they learn to fear you, they never actually have respect for you. But it's a tricky thing because your mind doesn't tell you that as a parent. You think, oh, wait, they can't see my imperfections. If they see those imperfections, then I won't have respect. But it's actually the opposite is true. That when they see our imperfections, they're like, oh, okay, they're human. I can identify with them. A friend of mine was telling me, she was like, you need to be compassionate with yourself. If you're having a hard time, if you're not feeling good, let your son know, even at this young age, that way he learns compassion. And I didn't realize that about parenting. I had no idea um, what I was getting myself into. I knew I wanted kids, but had no idea what that meant. And now I'm like, oh, crap, what am I going to do? <laughs> because yeah, it's a different way of looking at it, isn't it? I want my son to help have a healthy self-love and self-voice. But I realize I cannot give him what I do not have. And I hate that because I avoid self-reflection like the plague. I overthink things. And then again, with the toxic self-talk that I was raised with still continues. And I'm learning to like clean it up. But my fear is I'm not going to clean it up soon enough to be able to give that to my son. No, I, I would tell you right now, just stop right there because that is part of us being human as well. We're, we're always going to, there's going to be a thought process that takes us over and sabotages us. And when that happens, it's, you can always go back to the character that your child knows that you are. It's your character of who you are that matters, not your mistakes. So, you know, he's only, he's only two. So I will say there's many times where you will go back and say, Mom just really overrode you right there and kind of plowed over you, huh? Yep. Yep. I did that. That was me. And then you're like, let's, let's rewind. Honestly, what I meant to really tell you is this or that. And the older they get, they're like, yeah, that's, that was, that's my real mom. The other one was, she was just kind of out of control at that moment. We've always got to know it's going to happen. You know, I mean, I, I crack up with my oldest daughter because I tell her, geez, there were so many times where I got so uptight with you and that really was a bummer because I didn't need to, you had it, you know, and then I just need to realize we're just, we're just imperfect people. And we, when we keep trying to do our very best in the most uh, authentic way that we can, our kids see who we really are, you know, and just like you see who your mom really was, you know, they're going to see who we really are and not our, not our, our mistakes don't define us. So never fall into that fear or else you're going to be tripping for no reason. Uh. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> you're never going to fully feel like you've learned it. So then what you're going to never feel like feel like you're a full uh, capable parent, but you already are a full capable parent right now. That's what I will Thank tell you, you, Stephanie. I can see it in you. You really are. It doesn't Thank matter. We, imperfections are fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's cute because he inherited my lack of patience and my when I get upset, I want to throw things, but of course I've been throwing things a lot less now as an adult. <laughs> I just look at my husband. I'm like, Ooh, you're in trouble. Right. He's like, you're the mom too. Like you're in trouble. I'm like, no, but I can't get mad at him because I do those things. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. It's so funny because my old, my youngest one has a temper almost identical, uh, reacts to their temper, I should say, because everyone has a temper. But the way that she reacts to her anger is almost identical to the way that Richard, my husband, <laughs> reacts. And he's always going like, oh, I know exactly how she feels. Oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well, then 
you go have a talk with her because I don't actually <laughs> deal with anger like that. You know, it's yeah. so funny, but you know, uh, we, we just, it's, it's good to have those recognizing moments because then it helps hopefully rather than being like clashing, we can have compassion on the fact that, yeah, I kind of go through that too. <laughs> so my husband got cancer our first year of marriage, like two months before our first year anniversary. Wow. And six months after his mom got cancer. Holy moly. So right when hers was like going into remission, his came on and it was testicular cancer. I had grown up lying to myself right. that I didn't want kids. Mm. That was the thought. I believed my mom. I was too selfish to have kids and I didn't want kids. But I knew deep down inside I always did. And um, so when my husband got his cancer and I'm like, hey, you know, if we want a family, we need to do it now. We both like, really- this is putting a little time frame on our situation. Yeah. I'm like, happy one year. Let's start trying. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I would have been, I, we wouldn't have started trying till three or five years into the marriage. That way we had a foundation. But um, after that, I'm like, nope, let's go. And we both realized we did want kids. Oh, yeah. It pushed you into making that decision of what you, your heart really wanted. Yeah. And I actually would be okay with like three or four kids. My husband on the other side, he's kind of freaking out because, you know, kids are expensive. Yeah. I told him, I was like, you know what? I said, you had a better upbringing. You had your healthy parents that are still married, love each other. This is the start of my family. Yeah. And I said, this is now the family that I can share blood with. I'm like, you can't take that away from me. I'm like, you need to find a way to be on board because this mama needs more babies. <laughs> You're like, now I see that there's, and you know what though it is, it is scary for a man because of the the providing issue. Yeah. But, um, but sometimes it's just by faith. You say, you know what, if I can take care of one little, little guy, I can take care of two. I can, I just love talking to you because I can see that you care about the person that you're becoming. And that's why I wanted you on this show because it's beautiful. And as we are ending this interview, I was wondering if you, if there's people listening that are just now trying to figure out how they're going to come out of realizing that the way that they were brought up is not the way they want their future to be. What is some advice that you would give to them? I think that you have to accept it's not a one and done decision or moment. You need to allow yourself the time it takes to not only evaluate things and label them for what they are and baby steps and just giving yourself grace and knowing what battles aren't worth it and that it's going to be a sacrifice. Even if there's a toxic person in your life, and you cut them off, there was still a sacrifice made. Um, I think for myself, my cognitive therapy really, really helped and my faith helped. And holding on to those friendships that always saw what I didn't, what I wasn't allowed to see at the time. Gravitate towards that. And finding a support group that validates reality and the truth for what it is rather than supports those toxic people. Yeah. And kind of make you seem like you're over exaggerating. You know, that's not what happened and belittle you. It takes time. I'm still figuring things out. Mm -hmm. I don't feel that I will ever be healed. I think I will always be healing. When you put an end cap on something big, like a, on a big traumatic experience, I think you're setting yourself up for falling back into bad habits. Just don't picture what your healing looks like and let the healing take place and just be graceful with yourself. Yeah. And yourself in your mind to deal with things when it's ready to deal with things. So it's like have compassion on yourself and know that it, and just be okay with that. And then take those little steps forward. You know, like I, I'm, that's what I'm sensing on you is, you know, like be willing to take those little steps because those little steps lead you towards exactly where you need to be. And then I love that you said, find the people around you that are validating. That's so beautiful because it's like, there are people there. You might not be seeing them. You might not be recognizing them, but when you reach out and you take the steps, then see the people that are validating and then allow those people to be around you and breathe life into you. Right. 
This was such a totally awesome time for us just to connect and, uh, thank you. Yeah. So you got to say your Instagram again though, because I'd love for people to go over there and check out your stuff. Stephanie Renner underscore beauty. Okay. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I loved it. It was such a blessing to be able to have that conversation and open up with Stephanie and talk about some of the hard things that we've been through, but how we've been able to move them into learning lessons. It doesn't matter what you have been through. You can grow from it. And I want to tell you about Stephanie Renner's Instagram one more time. I'm going to spell it for you so you can find it. We can all be friends on Instagram. It's Stephanie Renner, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E-R-E-N-N-E-R, underscore beauty. And you'll see her face pop up right now. Her profile picture has a little yellow background. And... um, yeah, find her there. Like I said at the beginning, my Instagram is share, C-H-E-R, the focused mindset. And as usual, I'll put helpful links in the show notes just for you. So let's go out and make this day amazing. And until next time, keep in touch and take care. <laughs>